Well, we've been doing a series on keys to living for God in a secular world of compromise. And last time I spoke, we talked about Daniel in the lion's den and the need to trust God in every situation and circumstances. So this week, I want to drop back into the verses leading up to Daniel being in the lion's den and just pick on one verse, Daniel 6 verse 10, uh, and a couple of things in that that I believe that God wants to really speak to us about this morning. So uh, Daniel 6, uh, it says the administrators uh, went as a group to the king and they basically said, anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except you, O king, should be thrown to the lions. And so King Darius put his signature to this decree. And then in verse 10, it says, Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had always done. Just as he has always done. Another translation said, as was his habit. Uh, we know that Daniel was a fantastic administrator. In fact, he was the best in the land because um, he was great at his job, not just because he trusted God, but he was great at his job because he was gifted and he was really, really disciplined. And every great administrator that I have ever met, as well as having a vision for the big picture, has always had great attention to detail and been very habitual in their processes, line upon line, precept upon precept. Uh, a bit of a beaver, as it were, in terms of their personality trait. And I imagine Daniel would have been like that because Daniel was incredibly structured in his devotional life as well. Daniel would pray three times a day, every day. It was his custom. It was his habit. He always did it. Now, habits, which is what I want to speak about this morning, uh, behaviors that are done so often that they are automatic. And so how many people have the habit of brushing their teeth before they go to bed? Three. Four people, yeah, yeah. When did you learn that habit? When you were kids? Yeah. So, amazing. Another habit that a lot of us would have is when we come up the road, we look right, then we look left, and then we look right again. That was how we were taught. Uh, one of the great habits that my family had when we were growing up is on a Sunday morning, Early on Sunday morning, all the kids would get into bed with mum and dad, we'd turn on the radio because there was no TV, and uh, we'd listen to the children's request session. How many people have listened to the children's request session on radio? This was absolutely brilliant. Every week we would do the same thing, and when Flick the Little Fire Engine would come on, that was dad's, that was dad's cue to go and make the cup of tea, uh, because he just... He hated that song, eh? Because uh, he had heard it year after year after year after year. And I, I guarantee that those of you who are in the habit of watching that program would remember the song. 
I'm a little fire engine flick is my name. They won't let me put out fires. Isn't it a shame? When I'm big and strong enough, I'll flight every flame. That's Call the little engine, call the little engine, call the little engine, flick. Now, I've got a useless memory, but hey, I can remember that stuff because it was drummed into me week after week after week after week after week after week after week. It was a habit, and it was a great habit for us. You know, Daniel had the habit of praying three times a day. And as Christians, we are all called to become more like Jesus Christ. And to do that, we need in our lives to break bad habits, especially those that were formed before we knew Jesus Christ, bad ways of thinking, and we need to replace them with good kingdom of God, fruit of the Holy Spirit, spirit-led habits, and that's easier said than done. If you are like anything like the Apostle Paul, then you will identify with him as he gets absolutely frustrated in Romans 7.15. He says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. Anyone else like that? Good stuff that you want to do, you don't do. Stuff that you hate, you end up doing. And most of us want to develop good habits. We want to ditch bad habits. But often we don't know how, or we aren't motivated to change, or we just can't seem to break through in those situations and circumstances. So this morning, I want to talk about two essential habits that we've got to form if we're going to grow to be more like Jesus. And I want to use those habits to illustrate the process and show you how we can form great habits. So it's a bit more of a teachy session for you this morning, but uh, I hope that it will just um, be really releasing in your life. So the two essential habits that I want to talk about are the habit of daily reading God's Word and daily praying. Now, <clears throat> these habits are the foundation of our Christian walk. They're habits that we encourage every new Christian to form but not just new Christians, because I guarantee that there'll be a whole bunch of older people here this morning, or older Christians, who still haven't formed those habits on a regular basis. And because you haven't formed those habits, uh, as the Apostle Paul wrote when he, I think he was writing to the Galatians, uh, he's saying, hey, you guys should be teachers by now, but you're still on the milk of the word. Why? Because they haven't formed the basic habits of <coughs> Christian relationship with God and growth. So, what are some of the keys to change? Well, really three words. Recognize, reject, replace. Everyone say that. Recognize, reject, replace. Those, those are the keys. So, under recognize, we need to recognize the need to change. We need to recognize the motivations and the benefits of change. We need to recognize where the power to change comes from. We, we need to change because none of us are like Jesus yet. Turn to that good-looking person sitting next to you and say, you're not like Jesus yet. <coughs> I 
And David and Chrissy just look at each other. You know, the fact is, we're all still pretty messed up. Um, we still battle with sin. Because we still have a sin nature within us. I, I remember an interview with an 84-year-old missionary who was returning from the mission field. Wonderful, wonderful, godly man. And the young interviewer asked this old missionary, when did he overcome lust? And the old missionary replied, I'm still working on that. And that's the truth. Every one of us are still working on all of those areas. We never stop fighting against sin. We carry sinful habits with us from our old life because every one of us have sinned. Repeated sins form habits and strongholds that work against the plans that God has for us. And those repeated sins and strongholds give the enemy power in our lives. Sometimes we just don't see what we are like. And that is where prayer and the Word of God come in. Not only does God's Word teach us about God and how He deals with people and how He deals with you and I, but it describes God's standards, His standards for living and how we can please Him. Also, God's Word is described as a plumb line. It's a standard that measures and discerns our heart motivation. The plumb line uh, used to be a string with a heavy weight on the bottom that builders would um, put against the side of a building to check that it was, it was flush. I mean, I wish I had done that when I built my um, smokehouse when I was back in Hamilton. I used to do a lot of fishing. Sometimes we would come back from um, Rotoira with 80 trout after 10, 12 days of fishing, back in the days where you could take uh, eight a day. And so I decided that I needed a smokehouse. So I, I built a slab, and I was thinking about this, and so I put a slope on the slab so that the water would run off it, you see. Um, not a smart move. But anyway, I went down to first rubble bin, got these great concrete blocks for free, um, built, the, built the smokehouse, and put a fridge door on the front, and um, I was very careful that the concrete blocks were level with the floor of the, with the foundations that I had laid. Um, but then, of course, the foundations weren't quite right, so the smokehouse went at a slight angle. I could see it. <coughs> Builders would look at it and think, you fool. <coughs> but the reality is, if I put a plumb line out, it would, from the top to the bottom, it would have been out by about by about that much. So it wasn't too bad, but it was a lesson. Hey, I should have used, I should have got those walls up straight. It was, ended up to be a fantastic smokehouse. Uh, and we just smoked hundreds of trout in that. But the reality is, God's word is like that. Uh, God's word is a plumb line of which we can compare our actions to what it says our actions should be in the word. And not only is it a plumb line, but it can discern our motivations. When I'm, 
playing golf, and I hear that while I was away, Stephen mentioned <laughs> a little bit about golf. <laughs> and, and obviously, these young guys are still working really, 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 really hard to beat this old fella. And actually, we've had six games together, and uh, we've won two each. So, so that's not bad from Kelly and Stephen and myself. So, um, but I'm going to get better. When I'm playing golf, I can't see what my golf swing is like. I can see the results of that swing by the way the ball goes. Uh, but I can't actually see the swing for myself unless I video it or unless I get someone else to watch it for me. I can know what to do. I can see what others are doing wrong. But I can't see myself. Change at golf happens when I get somebody to help me. Somebody who's better than me. Somebody who knows what to do. When I get them to look at what I am doing and say, oh, you should be doing this. Here, let me help you. Da, 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 then I get better. Uh, we, we recognize this, this concept in sport all the time. But it's true in life as well. We can't see often what we are doing wrong. It's easy to see what the person next to you is doing wrong, but it's harder to see what we are doing wrong ourselves. And that's where God's Word and His Holy Spirit come in. They see us and show us exactly what we are like, and they show us what needs to change. The greatest help I've ever had continues to come from my daily time of reading God's Word and praying. So what motivates us to change? What motivates your kids to change? It's illegal to have a jam spoon these days, a wooden spoon, to paddle their backsides. But um, the reality is, we are motivated by fear and punishment or by love and reward. Any of you who have had children will know that kids always respond better to love and reward rather than fear and punishment. I mean, I remember my brother um, grabbing the jet wooden spoon off my mum, running down the back garden. I can still picture mum running after him <laughs> and my brother tossing the wooden spoon up on the garage roof. Man, smart guy. <laughs> I still remember that. But the reality is we always still responded better to love and reward rather than fear and punishment. Some people are driven to try and change by fear. They read the verses on sin and hell and rightly they want to avoid that. I mean, hands up all those people who want to go to hell. Nobody. What a, what, what a surprise. The reality is, though, nobody wants to go to hell. We are scared, some of us, to do that. We read these verses. I'll read you a couple. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 and 10. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Pretty straightforward here. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral 
nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. God's word's pretty plain. Doesn't matter how PC you are, if you are an adulterer, if you are um, a thief, if you're greedy, if you're a drunkard, hey, you've got some work to do to get your life sorted out. James 1.15, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. Death being separation from God for eternity. As we read God's word, we recognize that we are more sinful than we ever imagined. In fact, the law has been given to show us that there is absolutely no way that we can meet God's standard. There is no way that we can be so good that we meet God's standard of goodness. The more you read in the Word of God, the more you read, you realize that you've got problems. We are more sinful than we imagine. We are deeply selfish, prideful, but even then, we only know this by divine revelation. As we read God's Word in the Holy Spirit, begins to speak to us through it, then he begins to reveal to us what we are really like. Fear motivates, but often fear-based motivation doesn't last long. Does it, Waller? I had kidney stones a number of years ago. It was the most painful thing I've ever been through. Some people say it's more painful than childbirth. I'll never get to experience that. Childbirth for me wasn't that painful. It was quite exciting. It was quite interesting, in fact. But anyway, back to the kidney stones. Waller told me that if I want to avoid kidney stones again, then I had to drink two liters of water a day, every day. For the first three weeks, every day I drank two liters of water. But as the, the, the remembrance of the pain began to wear off, so did my dedication to drinking two liters of water a day. And I drifted back, back, back into my old habits. Pain wasn't enough to give me a lifelong change. Now, when I think about it, I still try and drink that water. And it's a good thing. But pain... Fear, punishment, isn't the most powerful motivator of the lot. Talking about punishment, John says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. In other words, what he was basically saying is, and he was talking about end-time judgment on this one, He's saying, hey, if you fear that, then you're not perfected in your love um, for God. But it also says that love is more powerful than fear. And if you are motivated by love, it will be a more powerful motivating force than fear. And I know this because when I got married, I didn't fear my wife. Or maybe I should have. But I loved her. And uh, as kids, we, not only did we grow up, listening to the children's request session, but we used to grow up 
with um, three teaspoons of sugar in our tea all the time. It was sweet. It was, it was good back then. And my wife wanted to live longer than me. No, she wanted me to live as long as her. And so she said to me, okay, I'm going to try and cut some of the sugar out. So this was a difficult thing, but because I loved her, I tried. So I went from three teaspoons of sugar to two teaspoons of sugar to one teaspoon of sugar to half a teaspoon of sugar to, half, to no teaspoons of sugar to half a teaspoon of sugar <laughs> to none to half to none to none to none to none. You know, now I can't stand sugar in my tea. I can't stand sugar in my tea because I've got into the habit. But I changed not because of some great health reason. I changed because I love my wife and I wanted to please her. And love, you will find, will be a stronger motivating factor in any change that you want to make in your life. A love for God grows as we spend time with Him and read His Word. And when you love Him, you want to please Him. I mean, the Word and the Spirit shows us that Jesus loved us so much that He left the glory of heaven. He came down to earth, he, he forsook his riches, he lived in poverty, was stripped naked on the cross, was whipped, spat upon, humiliated, ultimately suffered separation from his father. He was in so much agony on the cross as our sin was put upon him that he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when the sin of the world was placed on Jesus' shoulders, God turned his back on his son. He was forsaken so that we can be accepted. He became the one who paid the debt of our sin, a debt that we could never, ever, ever pay for ourselves. He paid it with his life so that we could be unconditionally accepted by God. So we are motivated to change by a deep love and gratitude to God as we wanted to please him. But the thought and the motivation comes to us as a revelation in our spirits as we regularly spend time in his word and prayer. Romans 5 says that we love him because he first loved us. So when we try to please God, when we do things that we know that God likes us doing, we do them not to earn his love. We already have that, people. But we do it to show our love in return. And the thing that pleases God the most is not us doing stuff for God, which is good and necessary. I mean, John 14, 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. So keeping God's commandments are the fruit of us loving God. But what really pleases God is us spending time with him. And making your relationship with God the number one thing in your life. That is going to encourage and create change in your life. Love is the motivation that sets our wills to keep God's commandments. And any time that we disobey God, any time that we blow it, it exposes an area in our lives that we love more than God. 
And, but with God's help, we can get it sorted. There are so many motivating benefits that come as a result of a regular time of reading the Word of God and prayer. The Bible tunes your spirit to hear God's voice, teaches us about God's will and His ways and His person, feeds our inner man, gives us guidance. When we pray, we get to know God better. We see situations through God's eyes as He shares His heart with us. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call unto me, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you don't know. So when you're asking God, when you're spending time with God, He's going to show you things that you didn't know. That's why myriads of scientific inventions have been made by Christians because God shares things with them that they didn't previously know. Psalm 37 verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. In other words, when you delight yourself in the Lord, when you're spending time with Him, He's going to put His desires in your heart. He's going to infuse your heart with his desires, so the things that you want will actually be the things that he wants for you. When we are regularly reading and praying, God shows us amazing things and gives us desires and ideas that can have a profound impact and influence. Most of my greatest ideas, most of my greatest thoughts have come after or during spending time with God in prayer. I know you people have got some awesome examples of this as well. But have a look at this little video with God-given thoughts that, when put into action, had a huge impact. This is a um, television New Zealand news special. Some of my best friends said to me, that's just mad, why are you doing that? Hi, I'm Katie Boom and I've been living barefoot for the last five years. did in the beginning was give up shoes and talk to people and it grew into into something that has helped thousands of people which blows my mind moving back to New Zealand didn't want to just slip back into my old life and kind of pretend that nothing had changed because I was different and I wanted to be able to do something about what I'd seen because seeing poverty in person really impacted me. Uh, so I decided <laughs> when I moved back to New Zealand in 2012 that I wanted to try going shoeless for six months as a way to raise awareness and and maybe do something practical to help the kids that I had met who were just stuck in a poverty cycle. In that first six months we sponsored a whole school of, of kids, which was amazing. I ended up going barefoot for a year. I extended it to two years, and then I did three, and then four, and then I finished five years living without shoes. How, I don't know. <laughs> I 
decided I was going to do something wild to be to fundraise for for our kids there. We don't often talk about finishing things in our culture, but I think things should come to a good end. So I consider that to be a win. <laughs> I think that's a good way to end. I don't think Katie's with us this morning, is she? No, so she'll be back next week. And so, little thought, little God-given thought, and look at the impact that that had. I mean, who would know that just such a little idea would end up being able to change the lives of 1,200 kids in schools? But God sows these thoughts into us. So we need to recognize our need to change. We need to recognize the motivations, the things that um, encourage us to change. But we also need to recognize the power to change. 1 Timothy 4 7. Discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is of little profit, all you gymites. Um, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds a promise not only for the present life, but also for the life to come. The word discipline here is also, uh, is also translated practice, go into training. It's a word that we get our English word gymnasium uh, from. Paul says, Timothy, just like you see an athlete go into training and practice and develop the habit of running or lifting weights or getting stronger, you need to practice and develop the habits of becoming a godly person. It's a habit we need to develop. But it's going to take more than just our effort to change ourselves. Husbands, how hard is it to change your wife? You laugh. It is near on impossible, isn't it? And how hard, wives, is it to change your husband? Yeah, even bigger laugh. The reality is, it is unbelievably hard to change. Paul, in Romans 7, recognizes this. He says that he is a wretched man, am I, are his words. He says, I'm desperately wicked. I'm helpless outside of God. There is nothing good in us. He recognizes that there is nothing that he can do by himself to beat the battle of sin. He recognizes that all his good works of themselves amount to absolutely nothing. And then he says, Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. He knows he can't rescue himself by his own willpower and effort, but Jesus Christ can. He knows that Jesus did what we couldn't do. Jesus never sinned. He always obeyed. He always loved. And when he lived in victory, he gained victory for us. 
1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and with us that affects change on the inside of us. Ephesians 3.20. This would be one of my favorite verses. I love it in the Amplified Bible where it says, God is able to do far exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or even imagine. And often we'll stop there. But it goes on and it said, according to his power that is at work within us. It's the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Partnering with our wills that enables change to happen in and through our lives. After the recognition steps, you need to desire, therefore, what outcome you want in the situation. What do you want to happen? What habits do you want to get rid of? What habits do you want to start? Ephesians 4.22 says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Write down the outcomes in your diary if you need to. Spend some time with God saying, God, what habits do I have that are working against your plans and purposes for me? And on the other hand, what habits do I need to grow in my life, they're going to help me become the kind of person that you want me to become. Write them down. Philippians 3 verse 14, Paul says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul had a goal in mind. He had an outcome in mind, and he was working towards those empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then, thirdly, plan your implementation strategy. In other words, plan how you're going to do it. Some habits need to have their spiritual power over you broken. So if you think that's the case, plan to get someone to pray with you. Remember, if a habit was easy to break by yourself, you would have done it already. That's the truth. If you are looking to ditch a habit, you need to replace it with something. It's recognize, reject, replace. So, if you want to stop smoking, break its power. And then replace it with something like chewing. I stopped smoking when I was about nine years of age. (laughs) When my grandfather got a big cigar and stuffed it in my mouth and said, here, take a big uh, inhale on this. It just about killed me. Never had another smoke in all my life. I just went absolutely green. If you eat junk food when you get stressed, I won't ask for a show of hands here, 
but one of the things you can do is decide, okay, instead of eating junk food, I'm going to eat healthy food to start off with. And of course, you've got to deal with the stress triggers and a whole pile of other bits and pieces, but start small, take a step in the right direction. Instead of eating the junk food, start to eat some healthy food when you get into that uh, stress desire situation. If you want to start the habit of daily prayer and reading the word, it won't, have it by you, it won't ha happen by you just saying, I want to start a daily prayer and Bible reading time. It won't happen. You need to set a regular time to do it. You need to plan for it. Most people, for most people, that will either be first thing in the morning or in the evening. You need to set a specific time, uh, an exact time. In other words, if you say, when I wake up in the morning, I will have a time of reading the word and prayer. I guarantee that the first time you say that, with good intentions, you will sleep in the next day. And you'll be rushing to get to work. It won't happen. But if you say, I am going to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning, and I'm going to spend half an hour reading my Bible and praying, and you set your alarm so you actually do wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning, it will happen. It will happen. For reading the Word daily, the most useful tool I have is a daily Bible reading plan and I have that on my, on my phone, I have it on my iPad and I use it and it keeps me accountable. How many people here use a daily Bible reading plan? Just put your hands up. Yeah, just a whole bunch of us. Yeah. Uh, I aim to read through the Bible uh, once a year and I've done that for 45 years. We've actually got some daily reading plans um, at the info desk there, but also you can go onto the new, go, uh, you can Google it. The American Bible Society have a great daily reading plan, and you can just use that if you haven't got an app on your phone or your iPad or you're on your computer. But I've found that is really, really, really good. Do I miss reading the Word? Yeah, actually, I never read uh, a set reading on Sunday. So it means that on Monday or Tuesday, I'm doubling up to, to catch up. Sunday, I'm focused on, on, on just what I'm delivering to you uh, this morning. On average, it takes 66 days for a new habit to become automatic. So some habits are easier. They say uh, having a glass of water with your meal, uh, that's a habit that'll take root in 21 days. So if every day for the next 21 days you have a glass of water with your meal, then you will have established that as a habit. Other habits are harder, but on average, 66 days for a new habit to become automatic. Early in my Christian walk, not only did I get in the habit of reading the Word and praying, but I got in the habit of tithing, of giving a tenth of my income um, to the Lord. And... For the last 45 years, I haven't known what it's like to live without tithing. I just started to believe and practice God's word, and I never stopped. And it's one of those fantastic habits that I've been able to build on in the years gone by. Daniel 6 verse 10, as the musicians come. 
When Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had always done. So, what habits do you want to break? What habits do you want to start? I'd love to be able to get everyone just up on an altar call and lay hands on you and immediately all those habits would be broken and all of those uh, new habits would be started. But the reality is uh, we can break chains of bondage. We can set captives free. We can give people the opportunity to start afresh. But you have to take responsibility for your own Christian growth. This is, this is basically like the, the half-time message by the coach in a football match. You guys have still got to go out and play the game. You've still got to put into practice what you're learning. You've still got to read. You've still got to get in touch with the Holy Spirit. You have to, with the power of the Holy Spirit, grow in God for yourselves. I can't do it for you. But we can recognize the need to change. We can recognize the motivations and the benefits of change. We can recognize where the power comes. And that's a, let me just go back onto that one. That's a real, real key. Some of you, it's like you've tried hard, you tried hard, you tried hard, you tried hard. You just need to stop and say, God, I can't do it. But God, you can do it through me. And I thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that is working in me and start to apply your faith. Holy Spirit, come afresh on us. And we're going to pray for people this morning. I'm just going to get you all to stand right now. And um, we're going to break chains of bondage, but also we're going to ask the Holy Spirit will just touch you and just really motivate you and just begin to get you on the right path in those areas that need to change. So we're going to pray for people who want to see changes in their life, but also I want to pray for people this morning, uh, for people who want to break through in a particular area in their life. It might not have to do with habits at all. It might be to do with your business. It might be to do with finances. It might be to do with healing in your bodies. So I want to pray, and I'm believing that the Holy Spirit is just going to come, and He's going to touch, and He's going to heal, and He's going to set people free. And as Jody said last week, do something. And He got up. You need to do something. You need to do something. What's that first step? Something that you need to do.